1: NY or text hope and in New York yeah. Uh.
2: Yeah. And what's up welcome in West Mitchell Chris Clark GC Live final South Carolina versus Georgia preview hope y'all are doing well. it is Friday afternoon if you are watching us live we, we actually Chris we had a ton of people I can tell from the analytics we had a ton of people watching us Saturday prior to the game this past week as well, whether that was on YouTube or uh, potentially even on the podcast platform as well. We're on every single podcast platform that exists. So no matter how you're watching or listening, we appreciate you joining in. And um, if it's Friday for you, you know, happy almost game day. If it's already Saturday for you, happy game day. South Carolina, Georgia, 3.30, CBS. this will, for the foreseeable future, be the last ever South Carolina versus Georgia game on CBS, right?
3: Yeah, man. All right, pour one out. It's sad. Very
2: sad. We uh, can
3: commiserate today.
2: Yeah, and so, you know, who knows? Maybe in the future the contract comes back around and it ends up on CBS again. So you never say never, but certainly for right now, Um Take it all in, enjoy the CBS theme, enjoy the CBS announcers. Even you know even if they're not your cup of tea, it will be the last time for a while that these two teams are going to play on CBS. And South Carolina, Georgia, not on their each other's schedule for 2024, which is just weird. No South Carolina, Georgia, no South Carolina, Florida, no South Carolina, Tennessee. Which I don't know about y'all. Those are the teams I grew up watching. South Carolina compete with in the division. So uh, very weird. Enjoy it this Saturday afternoon. This show is brought to you as always by our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you're in the market to buy a home, you're going to need a mortgage more than likely, and Clint can help walk you through that entire process. Give him a shout. Again, clinthammond.com. I promised y'all a guest, and this time I have delivered. We're going to have Palmer Toms from Dogs HQ going to be hopping on and joining us actually in about six minutes, well, five minutes now. So looking forward to chopping it up with Palmer and getting his take, giving us the Georgia approach, the Georgia side of things. Of course, we're going to get an injury update as well. But all right, Chris, let's go very big picture at first. We've been talking about this game all week, but I like for the Friday show to be kind of an all-encompassing final preview. So even if you have to repeat yourself, what what's your what's your big topic for this game?
3: Big topic is the trenches for South Carolina, I think, Wes and um,
2: hashtag trenches.
3: hashtag trenches and and look, th- this picture has not been pretty for the Gamecocks typically. Um, you think back to the last few games against Georgia. Gamecocks have really been styming running running the football. This isn't a game, Wes. Especially with what we've seen from South Carolina through two games against UNC and Furman. You don't come in saying, "All right, you know, hey, maybe South Carolina can make some things happen in the run game." That just, if that were to happen, great. But I don't think you can bank on it. But but here's what you do have to do: This has got to be a game where Spencer Rattler is your guy, that he has got to be the difference in this game. But what you don't want, Wes, is to walk away from this one saying, hey, you know, Spencer Rattler had a really good game. He played turnover-free football. He made some plays. But South Carolina could only manage 13 points, 17 points, something like that, because the offensive line could not hold up against Georgia. And that is a huge question, right? Other side of it, Carson Beck might be like – A little bit of a question mark for Georgia I'm I'm interested in getting Palmer's thoughts on this situation he's just not as proven as Stetson Bennett or a lot of the other quarterbacks that Georgia's had in the past he's got a big upside he's a good player but you have to make some things happen in the trenches to try to affect him so that's my kind of one thing I'm dialing in on you've got to play much better than we've seen through two games offensive line and defensive line for sure,
2: man. Um. All right, so I see Palmer's already down there. Uh, Palmer, give me a thumbs up if you're ready to roll in. I'm going to go ahead and bring you in. Yep, he is ready. Let's bring him in from Dogs HQ. Palmer, Tom's
4: up. Uh, Palmer, appreciate you taking the time today, man. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. It's It's uh, been a little bit rainy here in Athens, but hopefully that should clear out before tomorrow's big game. Yeah, what what are we looking like tomorrow? Is it uh supposed to be pretty it's I think, it's, I think clear? it's supposed to be good. I, you know, obviously – uh you know, we, we don't really have to worry about that being in a uh, nice covered area. Um, but, but I do think that it's supposed to be pretty good.
2: Okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. So three thirty kickoff CBS, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, we were just commiserating much like you and I did yesterday that these two teams don't play next year, which is just going to be weird Palmer. And, and also last time in the foreseeable future that they will be playing each other on CBS as well. So, Um, How how weird is that to you
4: as well from the Georgia perspective? It's weird. I mean, you know, having covered this team for a couple of years, you know, actually the first game that I was, um, I I wasn't working the game, but I was on the beat that week was that 2018 uh, Georgia-South Carolina game. So, you know, I I think back to the, um, you know, Debo Samuel matchup against DeAndre Baker, um, you know, physical football game there. That was a 330 CBS game. Um, a hot one there in Columbia. And, um, you know, th- th- these are two teams, two fan bases that, um, you know, like to go back and forth a little bit. Obviously there's a lot of crossover, um, you know, Georgia having Will Muschamp and, and Brian McClendon, Mike Bobo spent a little bit of time there in Columbia too. Um, so these, these, you know, Shane, obviously having spent time in Athens, these coaches, these stabs are very, very, very familiar with each other. These fan bases are Um, And and I think it makes for an exciting rivalry.
3: Palmer, here's where I want to start, because this is what we've been talking about for several days now leading up to this game. Let's start with Georgia on offense. Right. And so I, I know we'll dive in deeper to that and kind of put the microscope on Carson Beck in particular. But what have been your thoughts on this Georgia offense through the first two games? Obviously, the competition has not been as significant. A little bit of sloppiness in those two first games offensively. Opportunistic, right? You still put up a bunch of points. You still win those games very handily. But is the feeling that Georgia maybe just kind of sleptwalked a little bit, that they're still getting their feet on under him, that Carson Beck's still getting his feet under him? Or are there some legitimate questions once Georgia hops into conference play throughout this season? What's your take on that?
4: Is all of the above a fair answer? Because, you, I mean, fair. you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you preface this kind of a conversation with the Georgia, you know, Georgia entirely, but the offense specifically with the, the opponents. They played an FCS opponent in UT Martin. They had a Mac team in, in Ball State come to town. Um, so what do you take away from that? Not a ton, you know, because I don't think that Mike Bobo in, in this offense opened it up a ton. I think that Carson Beck was still getting comfortable, but obviously they weren't, you know, they were physically, a much more dominant football team than any of the, either of the two teams that they played. So, you know, preface the conversation with that. I think that it's important to, um, you know, keep in mind that Carson Beck is, you know, will be making his third career start. You know, this is going to be his first career SEC start. And so he's still getting comfortable. Um, I think that is an important factor in, in a, evaluating this Georgia offense uh, there's a lot of things that Kirby smart, Kirby smarts come to his defense because the, the fans, especially after that first game um, when, when it felt like maybe it was a little bit more check down back um, than, than pushing the ball down the field um, you know, they, they, they were at his throat and Kirby came to his defense and said, look, guys, there's a lot of things that y'all don't understand and you can't understand because you don't see it. It's the run checks. It's, it's, you know, identifying the mic and, you know, getting the team in a place where you're not going to mess it up. And so I think that's what he's done really well. That's what this offense entirely has done really well is they haven't messed it up. They put up, you know, 48 points in the first game. They did have a pick six and 45 points in the second game. They did have a punt return, but you know and you know they had great field position with three turnovers there from the defense but this offense has done their job they they have i, I said it to Colin earlier this week George's offense so far has done a really good job Carson Beck you know being at the helm of that has done a good job of not messing things up when the pressure gets turned up on them you know being being the opponents are you know the the stakes are higher the opponents are bigger they're faster they're stronger How will they respond? We're going to wait and see on Saturday. Palmer, let's kind of keep it right there, but shift over a
2: little bit. Offensive line play, running backs. I know Georgia's had some guys banged up there. Um, I I was listening and and actually watching you guys on Dogs HQ on your YouTube page earlier today, trying to sort of uh, dive into some of the topics in Dog Nation right now. It's kind of funny. Y'all were talking about some of the same things about Georgia's offensive line that we have talked about with South Carolina. But I think you also have to preface that to say there are levels to this. So I think the expectations that Georgia has established and the expectations that fans have, particularly for a Georgia running game that traditionally, you know, you just think of great back after great back. You think of this big, huge, physical offensive line. And so when I hear people say, hey, guys, the running backs haven't quite been breaking tackles like they need to. Offensive line has not been creating holes like they need to. To me, that's not quite the same as you know South Carolina gave up nine sacks in week one. So there are levels to this. However, if you're a South Carolina fan and you're kind of trying to create a little path in your head, how could South Carolina possibly pull off an upset? To me, it's got to start with continuing to make Georgia fans feel like they're not creating enough in the running game and trying to put this game on Carson Beck's shoulders and just finding out what happens, kind of answering that question one way or the other for if Beck can lead a team to a win in a key situation. So you've seen a bunch of Georgia football, man. I know it's a very long question, but I felt like all that was important to say. You've seen a lot of Georgia football. So is the running game a little bit of a question right now, like – Compared to everybody else in the world, or is it a little bit of a question compared to the insanely high expectations that Georgia people are always going to put on a Georgia rushing attack?
4: Princess problems is like what I is what I like to call it. Um, You know, I I do think that there is a concern with this run game because you know you, you look at the room and they don't have a guy like. DeAndre Swift, who we saw do incredible things on Thursday night football last week or last night, uh, you know, they don't have a Nick Chubb, a, a Sony Michelle, you know, they really don't even have a Zamir White or James Cook, um, two guys that, that, you know, were a one-two punch there. Granted, they haven't had Dejan Edwards. He's been banged up. They are completely without Branson Robinson, who was the number, you know, one or two running back in the country uh, for the class of 2022. And, and he's out for the season. Um, Kendall Milton has been less than hundred percent. He was a highly touted guy coming out of high school. They don't have the, the, the explosive difference maker in that room. And, and I think that that shows, but they've got some guys that are certainly capable of doing it. They just haven't necessarily been out there. Like I said, Dejan Edwards, uh, you know, has not played in those first two games. Kendall Milton has been less than hundred percent. And I don't know if he got a second half snap against UT Martin. Kirby said that he got tightened up a little bit there at halftime, dealing with a hamstring injury, Um, you know, and and so that's a battle that, you know, he's had throughout his career, and he will continue to have this season, they've got to find ways to keep him warm and keep him involved without over involving him, Um, because they don't want to risk any more injuries with him, so I think, you know, with with all that being said, they've got guys capable of doing it, they've got, you know, an offensive line that, you know, like you said, it, the, the Georgia fans are so used to having an offensive line full of, you know, future NFL guys, and, and they have that this year. Cedric Van Pran there in the middle, is, you know, a 30, 30 game starter coming into this year. Um, Amarius Mims could be a first round pick next year, um, you know, in this coming NFL draft. They're at tackle. Uh, the two guards, Tate Ratledge and Xavier Truss, uh, are returning starters from last year. Each of them started 14 games last year. Um, they, they've got depth too. They feel really good about, you know, probably six, seven, eight offensive linemen. Um, you know, as you go down that depth chart and, and they're not afraid to use six, seven, eight offensive linemen last year, uh, seven guys played more than 35% of the snaps for Georgia offensively, um, on, on that offensive line. And so, you know, I think that it, it'll be interesting to see these, these opponents that Georgia has played so far, they've loaded the box. Dave and Wes, you and I mm. talked about this. That's that's kind of South Carolina's thing. They like to go one high and, you know, put a safety out there on an island and, and put some more pressure on that run game. It makes sense because you're looking at a first-time starter at quarterback. And, you know, if, if you're going to get beat, make the first time starter at quarterback beat you. So it makes sense, but also at the same time, you know Georgia fans, like you said, you know, probably accustomed to you know such such great things. Well, last year Georgia got its run game together. They started slowly, but they figured it out. I, I did a little bit of a stat dive today. Coming into the South Carolina game last year through two games last year, Georgia fans were you know really upset about the run game. They had averaged 129 and a half yards per game coming into that. They are once again really upset through two games coming into the South Carolina game. They are averaging 129.0. So, uh, you know, Georgia, you know, exploded for 208 last year against South Carolina. Could they do that again this week? Absolutely. Um, Certainly interested to see what Dejan Edwards looks like. Is He's likely to make his return. What does Kendall Milton look like as he continues to get healthier? And what can they continue to add? Can they get a push up front? Can Can some of these other backs that are involved, Roderick Robinson, who's a true freshman, uh, Andrew Paul, who's a redshirt freshman, can those guys, uh, you know, continue to be playmakers for them?
3: Palmer, some a uh, housekeeping item since you started talking about some of the guys that have been banged up. So let let's get an injury report. Dejan Edwards, just gonna take Milton the rest of the show, up. Chris. Yeah, uh, that hey, uh, we've same been here there before. We, we, yes, yeah, same here. We've been there before and probably there currently. But Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton, uh, Lad McConkie, great wide receiver who's been out. Uh, Javon Bullard, who was banged up against Ball State. Give us the rundown and, and what it all means.
4: Yeah, I would I would throw Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton into the probable category. Um, Kirby said that he expects Dejan to play. Kendall has played; he just hasn't been one hundred percent. So those two guys included on an injury report, but definitely leaning more towards probable. Um, you know, day to day game time decision with Lad McConkie. He's he's been dealing with a back injury. Um, and and it's something that he's practiced, he's gone through drills, he's been out there, he's been a participant. And then all of a sudden it flares up on him and, and, you know, it's, it's a little bit tighter than he wants it to be, um, you know, come, come Friday night or Saturday morning. And so, you know, they've held him out. Are they going to continue to hold him out? You know, what, how precautionary was that versus how much did he really need to be held out? And are they going to continue to be precautionary? Um, you know, Javon Bullard also would be in that questionable category, um, probably leaning more towards doubtful with him. Um, you know, Georgia's defensive MVP in both of the college football playoff games last year, he was their second leading tackler in this opener, uh, got hurt on one of the first or second drives last week, uh, left the game with an ankle injury, uh, in that first quarter came back to the sidelines in street clothes and a boot on his left foot. I'm. I would say he's doubtful. Um, you know, but you know, Kirby said that they probably wouldn't know until Wednesday with him. Um, you know, where he was because he didn't practice at all on Monday, and then Tuesday was getting some treatment and and you know working, you know, the kinks out there. So I would lean towards probably not seeing Javon Bullard and Lab McConkey. Um, those are two big losses if those guys indeed don't play. But I do think that it's important uh, and and it's big for Georgia that they get Dejan Edwards back and that Kendall Milton continues to be a part of this run game.
2: Palmer. So South Carolina fans have a, I will say complicated relationship with Mike Bobo. Um, So do
4: Georgia fans.
2: Yes. I was going to (laughs) say, maybe there's some common ground there, right? Um, You know, in a strange way, I don't know, Chris, you tell me in a strange way, it's actually an even more complicated relationship than with Will Muschamp, I I think. Chris Chris is he's not agreeing with me. I can tell from that face. No 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 no. You,
3: I, I just had not heard that take before, so I'm processing. Well, what what, right. what do you mean though? I I think I see what you mean, but. Okay, well, first of all, uh, not to take up all of Palmer's
2: time's talking about my. No, I, I want to hear month. this
4: take too. I, I'm <laughs> okay. Interested. All right,
2: all right, all right. Listen, so first of all, there's always been a sense from South Carolina fans that Bobo will make at least one decision against them where they're saying, thank you. <laughs> like, for one, you look at the decision to throw the ball down near the goal line, the, uh, a game we've talked about this week, 2014 game where South Carolina beats Georgia in Columbia. Georgia throws the ball, I think, on first down. And I um, can't remember if it was first down or third down. I think they tried to throw a screen and ended up getting a um, a penalty Um, intentional grounding. Then they miss the field goal. South Carolina hangs on by the tip of the football (laughs) and wins that game. Then at Auburn, um, fourth and one, his one season at Auburn, Bobo fourth and one, Tank Bigsby on the sideline. Auburn is backed up in their own territory. They go play action, incomplete pass. It completely changes the game. South Carolina goes on to beat Auburn. The fact that South Carolina's fans were always kind of up and down about Bobo when he was here as a coordinator. I actually thought with what they had, he did a fantastic job giving them a chance play calling wise. But then you have the element of he basically says he's staying, but then leaves you after Beamer got hired. So, you know, it was to me, Gamecock fans always just have Inter- complicated is it's the, it's the best way to say it. And I know Georgia fans, for very different reasons, um, have a complicated relationship as well. And I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Palmer, but I was going to ask about the scheme. It I know they probably haven't shown much through two games at all, but it actually feels very much to me just from a big picture standpoint as being similar to what they were doing under Munken, as opposed to being like some new or, or old Bobo scheme, basically.
4: No, 100% there. And that was something that Kirby made clear from the moment that Mike Bobo took the job. I think he understands that complicated relationship that Georgia fans have with Mike Bobo. And so he wanted to make it clear, look, we're we're running a Georgia system now. This is, you know, in the same way that Alabama, um, you know, a- after they lost their first couple of coordinators there, had made those offensive changes and it was like, you know, oh, are they going to go back to what they were, you know, early on, uh, you know, when it was ground and pound football with all those running backs? Nick Saban made it clear that this was Alabama's system. It wasn't uh, a Lane Kiffin, a Steve Sarkeesian thing. Um, You know, and and so I think that this year it's been about this is Georgia's system. Mike Bobo implemented it, or excuse me, Todd Munkin implemented it. Mike Bobo is continuing it. And and I think that that run stat really, you know, shows that again, you know, 129 and a half yards per game through the first two weeks last year, 129.0 this year. Um, They actually put up more yards in the opener. Again, it was against UT Martin. Uh, than they did in in a majority of games last year um, uh, under Munken, And so, you know, I think that they made that clear. This is going to be, you know, Bobo was there. He learned under Munkin, um, you know, what was involved in ways, you know, ha- had a specific role and was, you know, really working on on, you know, third downs and red zone and stuff like that and gave advice in, in ways. And sometimes they used it, sometimes they didn't. That's kind of the analyst's role um you know but he was there he saw how it worked he saw the the order of operations per se and so you know he then took that over Tom Munkin was the biggest advocate for Mike Bobo being the one to take it over uh when he left Kirby and him sat down and you know Kirby said you know hey what do you think I should do and Munkin essentially said look you know Tom uh, Mike Bobo is the guy he is you don't need to go outside. You don't need to bring in outside influences here. Let's keep going what you've got going and and use this guy who wants to be at Georgia, has been at Georgia, has had success at Georgia. Um, and and you know, avoid <laughs> ignore all the outside noise with it. Um, Mike Bobo is a perfectly capable offensive coordinator. So he certainly has continued to do a lot of the same things that Munkin did. This offense is different though because you don't have a quarterback who's nearly as mobile uh, in Carson Beck as Stetson Bennett was. You don't have a six foot seven tight end, uh, you know, in, in Darnell Washington. You know that they, they, they've tried to do things, but you can tell losing a guy like that is a huge, huge, huge uh, game changer. And so, you know, you can't do a lot of the same things. Now, they've probably got better wide receivers this year and the depth at that position, adding Ra Ra Thomas and and Dominic Lovett from uh, Mississippi State and Missouri, respectively. So, you know, have they gone with a little bit more uh, of open sets and stuff? Absolutely. They haven't run nearly as much 12 personnel, but they haven't been afraid to run 12 personnel. They don't have a, a back capable of, uh, or, or as proven as Kenny McIntosh was last year out of the backfield and you know being a, an extension of the run game. They've used it some, and they've used you know Dylan Bell, who's a wide receiver. They've lined him up in the backfield and, and thrown the ball to him. They did it with Brock Bowers. They've done it with a, a walk-on receiver, Makai Muse. So they've found ways to keep that same offense going, but they're still figuring it out. And, and I think that that's the important thing to remember for Georgia through two games is that – it is very similar to what we saw last year under Ty Munkin, but Mike Bobo's still figuring it out, just like these players are too.
3: Palmer, you gave us a, a natural segue there in talking about Makai Muse. So punt return for a touchdown to open the scoring against Ball State. His first kickoff return was a good one too. Former walk-on, dangerous player, um, kind of still a for walk-on me, for, for me. Yeah, still a walk-on. There you go. And for me, kind of came out of nowhere. I'm sure you guys in Athens were more tuned into it. But I, I want to, first of all, tell us about him and kind of the genesis there and how dangerous he's looked. But then let's just go special teams in general. This is a couple programs that really prioritize special teams. Kirby Smart talked about it earlier this week. Shane Beamer obviously was on his first staff at Georgia. They they know the history. Pete Limbo, South Carolina, has been great on special teams. Georgia also – literally makes it a third of the game. They don't just say it. Kirby puts starters on special teams. They've got Makai Muse. This to me is 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 kind of a storyline to watch because I think this is from the South Carolina perspective, Palmer, this is one of the only games that I think you go into maybe being more concerned about the other teams' special teams because of you know the resources that Georgia devotes to it. So let's let's hear your take on Muse and special teams matchups for this weekend.
4: Yeah, Muse has been an exciting storyline so far this season. Um, like I said, still a walk on, um, small guy. He's he's I think he's listed at five foot seven, and that might be a little bit generous. Um, but he he's made plays, and you know, size be damned, he he has made those plays. And he took a screen pass fifty something yards for a touchdown in the in the first game. Had a sixty nine yard punt return last week. Had a forty yard uh, you know kick return. Uh, that, that was really good and, and set george up on that first drive and so they, um, they they have used him in special teams offensively he's a guy that has continued to uh, you know pr- proved himself on the scout team and you know if you're proving yourself on a scout team against Georgia's defense and, and the guys that they've had out there the last couple of years you're pr- pretty clearly pretty capable and so um, they he came onto the scene a little bit during the spring and, and had a big spring game. Um, you know, he's an effort guy. He totally, uh, you know, puts everything he has into every play he's out there. And, um, you know, he, he's certainly made some plays. So um, he, he's been an exciting element to the special teams. I think when you look at special teams as a whole for Georgia, like you said, they, they do put an emphasis on it. You're, they're not afraid to put, uh, you know, multiple starters out there. And, and you know, that's, that's something that scares a lot of fans. But I think, it, you know, when you watch the game and you watch the tape, it's something that impacts the game, um, you know, and the way that Georgia has been able to, um, you know, whether it's a blocked punt here or or a kick return there, um, you know, the, the, the blocking has been great on these. And it's because you've got guys that are out there doing it on a down to down basis. Uh, you know, you've got incredible athletes out there. And so. Um, you know, I, I do think that this is it's it's always an interesting one when you're going up against South Carolina because of that that beamer ball element to it. Um, you know, I, I think that one of my keys to the game for Georgia was be alert, be aware, uh, mm-hmm. because Georgia's got a lot more to lose in this one than than South Carolina does, and so I, I would not be surprised. In fact, I would be surprised if Shane didn't have something up his sleeve. I mean, last year it was. It was a fake punt, and they converted that. It, were there two fake punts? I, I, I can't remember. I remember one that got converted, and maybe it was a, mm-hmm. another fourth down.
2: Yeah, I, I don't remember if there are two. I definitely remember the one, and it was even, the thing is, Palmer, they've gotten to the point where teams are now alert to it, but they've almost built like layers onto their fakes to where right. uh, there's like a misdirection element or something as well. So even if there's you're a alert to it, fake. Yeah, yeah, there's a fake to the fake. So that's a they, – they go into every game with those. So absolutely, I think you look at this one, you're shocked when they don't try something. And it doesn't always work, but they've – it's worked more than it hasn't. And I do think, like Chris said, though, that's a concern from a South Carolina side because the games that have been like sort of in the balance, special teams has kind of put them over the top against a lot of teams, whereas against Georgia – you're probably saying, you know, at the even at the very least from a South Carolina standpoint, it's like even, you know, or, or maybe yeah. even you give Georgia the advantage. Like it's not – most games South Carolina goes into and they feel very good about having the special team's advantage just because they put so much emphasis on that part of the game. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on on Saturday. Speaking of that, um, I was reading over on Dogs HQ. I know you had some players to watch as well. Um, I I guess just give us your overall either players to watch or matchups to watch. Where is your head at kind of going into this game? If you're watching at home, where do Gamecock fans need to have their eyes during this matchup?
4: Yeah. um, I go to the defensive side of the football because, you know, when you're looking at South Carolina right now and that offense and and the way that Spencer Rattler has been, um, you know, super duper successful early in the season, Um, you know, you, you look at, the back end of Georgia's defense and, and the sh- secondary being a strength for Georgia, um, you know, maybe not having Javon Bullard, that certainly plays a part. And so you're going to keep an eye on David Daniel Sisavon who's the likely uh, starter in his place. You're going to keep an eye on those other guys that get not bumped up one notch on, on the depth chart, because, you know, when David Daniel's somebody that played in a dime defense, but he wasn't one of their core four DBs. Uh, you know, or five defense DBs. So, you know, who, who gets bumped up? Is it a freshman like Janelle Aguero, somebody who's you know seen some time back there? It, do, do you move a corner? Um, you know, because they've been rotating a couple of corners. Do you put them on the field because you feel confident in them? Um, you know, in your normal defense, so you should feel good about them in that dime defense. So. Keeping an eye on that back end, but I think the best way to help the back end is is up front, and it's that defensive line. And to me, you know, I, I mentioned it to you earlier this week. Michael Williams is somebody that I'm watching. I had Warren Brinson as a player to watch. Um, really, Georgia's play up front, and, and you know, I think keeping in mind that that North Carolina game as the big influence here, the nine sacks, the sixteen tackles for loss. I think – I don't know that Georgia's going to get nine sacks or 16 tackles for loss, but I think that they are certainly capable of of causing some havoc in that backfield. So keeping an eye on those guys up front as well.
3: Palmer, sticking with the defense, so more big picture here just for those listening, and and I'm curious. I'm going to ask you where – it's only been two games, so your answer may be we don't really know yet. Where do you think this defense can by the end of the season – once they're in conference play, where, where can this stack up versus the past two years? You know, the 2021 defense, Georgia was incredible. 2022 had a huge drop off to where they were giving up, like, I don't know, 14 points a game or something like that, obviously. But, but where does this group stack up against those you think?
4: It'd be really hard, really, really hard to say uh, that they're going to be that 2021 defense, but I think that they're certainly capable of being 2022, um, you know, because it's a lot of the same guys that 2022 had. Obviously, you know, you don't have a Jalen Carter out there, and and that's a huge factor. Um, you you lose a, a couple of guys. You know, Christopher Smith on the back end. He was he was a key contributor. Nolan Smith. Um, you know, albeit he got hurt halfway through the season, so you got a little bit of taste of what life without Nolan was like. Um, you know, Keely Ringo on the outside, you feel pretty good about the way that they've replaced him. But, you know, to me, I think that this defense is, is capable of being, um, you know, up there with those two. And, and, you know, to, to even think about having the kind of discussion of, well, where does this defense compare to the 2021 defense says a lot about the 2023 defense because of what that 2021 defense was, um, you know, we we've seen, I mean, there there's, there's snapshots of, of plays from, uh, from games those years where all 11 of those defenders have been picked in the NFL now. Um, you know, and I think that with this team, you've got a lot of NFL talent players, um, you know, guys like, and I think that you had that last year, but you've got a little bit more experience on this year's group because you're not replacing seven guys, you're replacing four guys or five guys. Um, and, and so, a lot of those guys that, that are out there this year got a lot of experience last year. They were really good last year. And, you know, the expectation is for them to be just as good, if not better this year, surrounded by a ton of talent um, and, and other guys that are taking, you know, steps in the right direction.
2: Palmer uh, you've been going for way longer than we were cre- requested, man. So we appreciate the time. <laughs> um, but final thought from you, I'm I'm guessing um, we picked Georgia. I'm guessing you're you're picking Georgia too on yeah, so give give the Gamecock fans a path. So let let's say let's say they play ten times, Georgia wins nine. What's the what's the path to a South Carolina upset Saturday in Athens?
4: Yeah, I mean I think it it goes back to what we said about South Carolina loading the box and, and you know taking away Georgia's, you know, run game and, and not allowing that to get going, forcing Mm -hmm. Carson Beck to be the guy and him proving to not be the guy. Um, You know, I I think that that's certainly some, because of the opponents that Georgia has played so far this season, I think that there's still so much that we don't know about Carson Beck. And so, you know, how, how does, how does he respond? You know, if if he throws an interception um, you know, didn't throw any uh, you know, last season, Through one last week and it was a tip ball type thing. And so, you know, if if he really does make a mistake and it's like, well, that's on you, Carson, how is he going to respond to that? And then I think defensively for Georgia, offensively for South Carolina, it's, it's hitting those big plays. I mean, when when you've got the receivers that that the Gamecocks do, and you put them in matchups and and situations, one-on-one type situations enough times, you're going to hit them a couple of times. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're bound to see some success there. I think that that it comes down to protecting Spencer Rattler and, and, you know, letting him get the ball away and, and, you know, forcing that Georgia secondary that has a first year starter at one of the cornerback spots could have a first time starter likely does have a first time starter at safety. One who's probably known more for his physicality than his coverage skills putting those guys in situations that, that put pressure on them. So it's it's putting pressure on Carson Beck and it's putting pressure on on Georgia's secondary is, is the way for a uh, for for, a, for South Carolina to keep this one competitive.
2: Yeah, couldn't have said it better again Palmer. We appreciate the time man. If you're out there listening or watching, go check out dogshq.com. The beautiful thing about the OWN3 subscription is if you're a Gamecock Central subscriber, you can go read their message boards, their content. If you're a Dogs HQ subscriber, you can come read our content as well. So whichever side you're on, check out our stuff on Gamecock Central and certainly check out everything on Dogs HQ as well. Palmer, again, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game, okay? Thanks, guys. Yep, have a good one. Awesome stuff there from Palmer joining us here on Gamecock Central. Takeover hour, um, or GC Live, you could say, Chris. I uh, I just one. hit every button On Streamyard, trying to get it back to the two of us. So I was
3: laughing inside, but I wasn't going to say anything because I've we we have. I was going to say we've all done it. Anybody who's used Streamyard has has done it. I'm sure.
2: All right. So um, (laughs) next time, Chris, here's what we're going to do. When I'm telling a guest bye, I'm just going to give the command, give the control to you. Okay. All right. To click the the. So there's all these different.
3: Bye. Like to get out layouts of yes. that
2: you can hit. So I'm sitting there trying to talk to Palmer and tell him bye, and I'm just clicking <laughs> everything.
3: That was awesome. Um,
2: what's up, still curtain in the chat? Uh, great stuff from Palmer. Honestly, I think I think y'all, y'all, the listener viewers, I think y'all got a ton out of it. it a lot of it was stuff that I had been reading and hearing from their great coverage all week long. And, uh, you know, we've kind of used that, I feel like, to kind of base some of our discussion around it as well. And I I think my biggest takeaway, Chris, is that we do – it is accurate to say we do just not quite know yet what this Georgia team is. Now, we do know they're very talented. We do know there's a better chance than not that they are – going to end up being a very good team. Like, you're going to look back on this season and say, man, like, their their process, we know it works. Their talent, we know is good. For me, it does keep coming back to Carson Beck.
3: Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, Georgia's had – they've had a lot of talent at quarterback, man, historically. Like, you go back and look at some of the guys that they've had on their roster – um shoot there's a bunch of them right and and most of them have won lots of games even if it was the more the quote unquote lean years where they only won 9 games or 10 games or whatever right um and so when there has been a change you know at any place especially a place like Georgia there are a lot of eyes on that next guy and so man i don't know if anybody could have envisioned the story of Stetson Bennett coming back to Georgia. People being pretty upset when he won the job and that Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin were sticking with him. What does he do? Two national titles, right? And he's obviously a talented guy, a dynamic guy, really great athlete. I I still fail to see how he ever had the game manager tag because he just did not play that way at any point, especially in year two last season. Um, The point is, you know, Carson Beck is obviously a talented quarterback, but it's not like this is a guy who's coming back for year three, year four. He's been a multi-year starter for Georgia, and you kind of know what you're getting. There's not that big of a sample size. So, yes, he's talented. He's a, he's a big dude. He's got an arm. He's done some good things already, but he's done it against competition that's not very good, hasn't really been tested. He hasn't had to go, you know, perform in a high-pressure situation. Now, the question, Wes, and, and I, I feel like we're getting into broken record territory. We've, started, we've said this a lot this week. If South Carolina doesn't apply that pressure, it's probably not going to matter. If you get into a game where it's handoffs and it's third and threes and it's low-pressure throws and Carson Beck's got a clean pocket all game when he is throwing the football, it probably doesn't matter, right? But if you can apply that pressure, which is like one question. Number two is how will he respond? So in a Georgia team that doesn't have many questions right now, if there would be a couple, Wes, I think of three, the injuries, right? Um, number two, you could talk about the run game because they do have some backs that have been banged up and they don't have, as Palmer said, they don't have Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle out there. And then number three, Carson Beck. So, And even those are kind of like stretches, right, a little bit because this team is still markedly better than most teams in the country, even carrying those questions, in my opinion. But those are the questions. And if you're South Carolina, those are the areas where you've got to try to attack and and you've got to try to see – force them to come up with some answers. You've got to take that fight too. And so can they do it? You know, that's obviously one of the big keys to the game just generally.
2: Yeah, that's one of the things we'll find out on Saturday afternoon. And I mean, here's the thing. It, it it may not matter, Chris. Like it may that may be a question that they don't have to answer on Saturday afternoon. They may say, look, go manage the game. We're gonna run the football. We're gonna spread the ball around. We're gonna keep giving you easy throws and we're gonna do what we do on defense, and we're just gonna beat South Carolina thirty five to seven, not have to do a whole lot on offense. Um, as far as our quarterback is concerned. And that's that. And then if you're a Georgia fan, you're probably saying, well, we're, we still haven't answered that question. Um, if you're a Carolina fan, you want for it to be going into the fourth quarter and everybody be saying, we're about to answer that question right now. Because if you can somehow manage to play everything else out, not even to an equal, but just to a somewhat level playing field, then you feel pretty daggum good about putting the game on seven shoulders. You know, what Beamer kept saying it yesterday. We got to play great around Spencer Rattler. I don't know if you got to play great around Spencer Rattler. You just got to give Rattler a chance to go do what he has been doing lately. And so I think, you know, that thing Beamer said in the locker room to Rattler when giving him the game ball like, hey, guys, we're going to have a chance every game because of seven. I, I I'm kind of a little bit of a believer in that. Well, also part of me is saying, man, Vegas knows, and they got this thing as a
3: 27-and-a-half point line. Like, well, that's massive. I, it is massive, but if I may, here is probably the line of thinking on that, Wes, is that Rattler had a – Great game given the circumstances, right? Like he didn't have a great game from the standpoint of he threw for five touchdowns and 400 yards, but he had a great game against North Carolina given the circumstances. And even the stat line looked pretty good, Um, had a great game. And that was despite being sacked nine times. That was despite having, I think Dowell Loggins, the offensive coordinator, put the number at 18 disruptions in plays, which is way too high if you didn't know. Um, and so I think the line of thinking is probably looking at that and saying, all right, that was against North Carolina. Here's Georgia and what they're going to present defensively, even if number seven is still top-notch. you know, It's going to present issues. Now, I know Vegas has a lot more than some dude on a podcast sitting around analyzing a game to set their lines, right? But in some form or fashion, analytically with what goes into the computer, that's probably what it is. And, And by the way, Russ, real quick, Our guy Clark Brooks from SEC StatCat just put this out. SEC quarterbacks with the lowest uncatchable pass rate ahead of week three. Spencer Rattler number one in the SEC, 7.46% of his passes uncatchable. Again, given the O-line situation, a pretty remarkable statistic in my opinion. Carson Beck at number three, 9.84%. Jalen Milrow of Alabama last and uh, at 28.89%, Tyler Buckner, who the Gamecocks saw against Notre Dame, uh, by the way, last year, is projected per reports to start Alabama's next game against South Florida. That's just a little college football note for you. But nonetheless, I interjected, Wes. Sorry.
2: No, you're good. I, I actually uh, – it's kind of scary, Chris, How uh, how much we've been thinking alike lately. I had Clark's Twitter pulled up. Y'all can do that too, As at SEC underscore stat cat. I mean, Clark is phenomenal. you already know we talk about that often. But some other just interesting notes where if I gave you this headline, you would probably say, yeah, Rattler, based on your eye test, yeah, is probably pretty high in that. The SEC's most successful passers targeting contested slash tight windows. I don't know how Clark... Specifies, you know, this is a tight window, this is contested. But Rattler second in the SEC as far as successful passers targeting contested or tight windows. Um, let me see, there's there's a couple, couple more. Um, SEC's most productive passer in targeting contested or tight windows, Spencer Rattler. Um, the SEC's most accurate passers under pressure going into week three. Guess what? Spencer Rattler, most accurate passer under pressure. He has an adjusted completion percentage of 80% when under pressure and an actual completion percentage of 71.43% when under pressure, which is insane. The only There's literally one, two, three, four, five. There's only four guys in the SEC whose percentage – is 50% or higher. Uh, Next highest is Devin Leary at Kentucky, 61%. So, I mean, but I I think it's always interesting to me to see if these deeper stats, these analytics, whatever you want to call it, do they match what the eye test says with Rattler? They absolutely do, in my opinion. How about this one? The SEC's most productive deep passer ahead of week three. As much as the guy three rows from me was complaining all game, all first half Saturday about the short passes, Rattler has, let's see how he how he determined this one. Most productive in this case is literally passing yards on deep balls. And uh, Rattler has the most passing yards on deep passes in the SEC as far as quarterbacks go, 247 of his yards this year have been on deep balls. So you see South Carolina obviously using those extension of the running game type throws. As Rattler told us, a lot of those are on RPOs even, so it's him making a decision to flip the ball out there. But not only are they making these plays on short throws, they are obviously making big plays, chunk plays, on deep balls as well. Rattler hitting a lot of those, and you can't mention that without also Chris throwing some love to Xavier Leggett, who has been, for the most part, trying to think. The ball been, target. <laughs> he has been the guy. Um, you know, Tyshawn Russell has one, but that wouldn't be factored into Rattler's numbers. That was Lenoris, obviously. But So yeah. Spencer
3: and Leggett have connected on deep ball after deep ball, you know? Yeah, Uh Eddie Lou got in there, maybe against Furman. I think he might have gotten on the board. Did yes, that one count? slot, 40, slot, deep ball, forty-six to start the third quarter. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Well, Sean McVay or Steve Spurrier esque recollection. Um, Only when I rewatch the game a couple times does <laughs> does it lock in there. <laughs> it's locked in. So yeah, I mean he's been he's been phenomenal, and look, it, they'll need every bit of that. I mean, they really will. I, I actually have West we're on the subject to deep balls. That's one of my like it's not in my keys to the game piece that came out this morning, but to really, if you're really, really going to zoom in and have like ten keys to the game, that's one for me. Like, I don't think South Carolina. We will still. When you tune in tomorrow, don't yell at your TV when you see some perimeter throws. They 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 will see be there. You'll see them. Um, because this team. You know, if you want to yell at them to run the football, I, I get it, and I know no. all Gamecock fans wish they could run the football better. You, you gotta, kind of, got to face reality right now. They're not going to line up and run the football up the middle against Georgia for 150 yards. I don't think that would be that would be a a shock to all of us if we saw, if they could do it, they'll probably win the game actually. But I don't I don't think that will happen. So you will see per- perimeter throws. But the point is, Wes. With a team that's as talented as Georgia that can rally to football, tackle, big, physical, fast, skilled, you know, it's gonna be hard to make your living on perimeter throws and making Georgia defenders miss. So point is, one of my keys really zoomed in, Rattler's gonna have to have some success on some deep balls, right? To get them in range to score, some outright scoring plays on deep balls. If South Carolina is to spring the upset, I think that's gotta be a big part of it in the passing game. And that of course begs the question, can you protect Rattler enough to be able to get some of those balls off down the field? Yeah. Which um, this
2: is kind of one of those games, man, you probably do need 10 keys to victory, like to really build out the path. Like, you know, let's be honest. Some, some games you go into the keys to victory. It's just like, don't screw up too much. Like you're, you have a big advantage in the game. Just go execute. Don't, turn the ball over five times, and uh, you know, and, and you feel pretty good. This is a game where you're sitting there saying, look, no, this needs to happen, this needs to happen. And then if those things happen, you you do have a shot. So we'll see if this can be the one or two out of ten. in my thing I normally bring up, if the teams play ten times, how many times does Georgia win? They're going to win a bunch of them, but that doesn't mean there's not a path for South Carolina to knock them off. Um, before we sort of close it out, Chris – Our friends at Liberty Tax, uh, my man Larry, I need to call Larry soon, man. So today is a day that you're, if you do estimated taxes, this is one of your estimated taxes deadlines. Um, I know Chris has already talked to Larry. He and his family have gotten a a tax plan for next tax season, 803-462-5576. You can do the absolute same and make sure that you just have a good idea of what to expect. Nobody wants to be hit with that massive, scary, surprise tax bill come April. So, 803-462-5576, our friend Larry and his team at Liberty Tax, they will take care of you just like they took care of Chris Clark. Um, Can the Gamecocks take care of Spencer Rattler tomorrow? That is the single biggest question going into this matchup. And I'm... You know, I I get excited about certain things going into a game, Chris. I'm most excited, most interested, most intrigued, however you want to say it. I'm intrigued to see what plan Dow Loggins comes up with for this game. Does South Carolina go out there and say, look, we know we're not supposed to be able to run the football on them. We're just going to throw the ball every single down. Um, (laughs) Do they go out there and do they say, look, they think we're going to go out and sort of lull them to – to sleep on the edges and throw quick passes? Do they say, we're just going to attack them downfield right off the bat and try to hit a couple of those big plays early? Do Do they go super down the line on this thing and go all the way full circle and say, they think we can't run the ball. They think we think we can't run the ball. Let's just run the ball and see what happens and see if we can't establish something early. Which I know will piss all you Gamecock fans off if the first play is a run up the middle, but I I think Chris, you have to maybe introduce a few little running game elements that we haven't seen yet. Is that the pin and pull? Is that you know maybe a little more counter? Is that I don't I don't know. There's a thousand different ways you can get to the result of running the football maybe throw a little something at them that they just have not seen on tape through the first couple of games. And they're going to adjust. They're too good not to. I'm not saying that means you're going to rush for 200 yards. (laughs) But I'm I'm just curious, does he have – is there a trick up your sleeve if you're Loggins and this staff where you kind of give yourself a chance to get into the flow of the game with an early score – are some early success because the game South Carolina has lost against marquee opponents, especially on the road, man, it's been what? It's been when they've had slow starts on offense and defense at the same time. You can't afford both. Like, you can afford a slow start on defense if you're scoring on offense early. You can actually afford a slow start on offense if your defense is dialed in early. But – Think about the games where they've been down 14 to nothing off the bat. What was Florida 21? Nothing off the bat. Tennessee two years ago on the road. Well, three years ago now, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Two games ago against Tennessee. Um, You're not going to come back being down to a team like Georgia. So I I think that's not by much. I mean, like you've got to stay in the game. And um, I know that's like a dumb surface level thing oh start fast well yeah duh but from what we've seen from South Carolina on the road and what we've seen from Georgia starting slow a little bit offensively this year I think you have to come out with something to just try and catch them on their toes a little bit and maybe give your chance give yourself a chance to settle into the game
3: well and that goes back to our more broad point of you know how do you, how can you find a way to put some type of pressure literal and like physical pressure and mental pressure on Carson yes. Beck you know you, you have to do that by if it's 14 nothing and he's completed you know one he's converted a third and four and other than that they've just run the ball and they got a turnover that got them you know in range early and it's 14 nothing mm-hmm. you've lost that battle already not now there's not any pressure physical or emotionally. On Carson Beck. So, if that's one of your keys to the game, you, you do have to. I mean, it is much more than a platitude to say that you have to start fast, or at the minimum, Wes, you can't start slow. You know, and so I, I think for logins coming into this game, you know, I, I don't know the the line of thinking, or or you know, obviously what what's in the game plan, what's in the script for the first part of the game. You wouldn't um, be able to say it on here, even if you if, did. So, if I did, I, I kind of. I kind of wish I did, but I don't. Um, You know, he's probably going in, if I had to guess, thinking, we're going to find a way to at least call some runs to keep things on. It's kind of like you saw in the North Carolina game. You know, called some runs and wasn't working out, so they went even heavier on the pass. Against Georgia, even with seven, that's going to be a tough proposition. So the question becomes, you know, how do you manufacture runs? Well, if you're introducing new things, Wes, that means that – Really, you haven't practiced them as much during your really three like real, real days of practice Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday during game prep. And you've got an offensive line that you're still trying to find the best five uh, that has had some assignment issues at times. So you have to balance it against that. If you think, okay, well, let's try some jet sweeps. Let's try some trick stuff. Let's try some some different things got to bear in mind that that can come with the possibility of something else that we've seen too much of. That's negative plays, right? So it is tough. It's kind of a – it's why it's a dilemma when you haven't shown the ability to just line up and run the football. Now, not many teams in the past couple years have just lined up and run the football in any form or fashion against Georgia. Wes, I think – and I'm not saying you've got to get to this number – but, again, I'll go back to the 2019 game, right? That's that's really just a perfect blueprint. It's not replicable easily. But Georgia had four turnovers. South Carolina had none, right? Jake Fromm uh, threw one pick that was kind of caused by Javon Kinlaw's pressure that was a pick six. He had one go off his receiver's hands that was picked, and he had one that was a bad ball slash miscommunication. So you kind of saw – Some of everything. I think that's what it'll take, you know, for South Carolina in this one. But one thing that they kind of quietly did in that game is they ran the ball a little. They ran it okay. Just enough. (laughs) Rico Dowdle had 79 yards on 21 carries, right? So he's not out that, you know, it's less than four yards a carry. It's not gashing them. Gamecocks had like, I don't know, something like 150 rushing yards. It's not 200. It's not dominating, but it's not 50 rushing yards. And I think you got to find a way to get in that range tomorrow. If
2: I magic wanded South Carolina to 150 yards rushing for tomorrow, they, do, they, do they win this game?
3: Oh, man, 150. Well,
2: Dude, did me- they rush for 150 yards?
3: I think it's a fourth-quarter game at the very least. Oh, it would be extremely helpful. There's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, part, I want to make it annoying and be difficult to say, well, how many is Georgia rushing for if, if game backs run for 150? You know, if Georgia runs for 275, uh, it might not be as meaningful. And, and you know, what do the turnovers look like? Yeah, if you get to 150, the, I would say it's a close game. I would. Yeah. It's going to be mean, tough, I, that's a tough mark to, to, Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's good. like, Oh yeah. Great thought, but I,
2: can you <laughs> go, can you yeah. go do it? Um, no, I, I just, I don't know the, the thing. So I get, uh, I know Chris Doring talked about the 2019 blueprint as well. And I, I think in terms of, you know, winning the special teams, you know, Georgia misses their kick, South Carolina makes theirs. Um, after missing one earlier, I, I think, and, um, you know, a, a pick six. Like, it helps when you not only turn them over a bunch of times, but you score on defense as well. Like, all those things, I, I think, are part of the blueprint. But also, I, I think the thing you kind of forget about that game, man, South Carolina's offense in the second half, it was hold on for dear life. So,
4: yeah,
2: I, I think for this game, my blueprint more involves seven – going out there and just being like, I, I am that dude. Like I am, I am literally the best quarterback in the sec. So, you know, I, I think, and I, and I get the point on, Hey, he played by considering the context, he played great against North Carolina and he only scored 17 points. I do think there is a little bit a of Dow Loggins kind of knowing what he has now and doesn't have now on offense plus some adjustments you hope up front um, to try and not fix, that's a tall task, but maybe lessen some of those things. Maybe you can help Rattler a little bit more with more motions to the outside, Uh, you know, getting him out of the pocket. I mean, changing the launch point, all those things to where he has a great game and puts you more. I I think you got to score. Let's say Beck isn't who Georgia fans want him to be. They continue to struggle to run the football a little bit. You know, you still, I think, got to score into the mid to high 20s to win this game, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've got so many weapons around Beck on offense. And I, I can, like, foresee a scenario where South Carolina controls the running game defensively. But I don't really see a scenario where South Carolina, like, shuts down the running game. Like, that's kind of – what's that? It's like that's a bridge too far for me. Like, even even in, like, hey, everything's going exactly the way South Carolina needs it to go, it's hard for me to see that happening,
3: right? Oh, yeah, very hard. And, and I mean, to go back to your – it's a great point you made on the 2019 game and kind of the, the difference between how the offense was administered in that game versus how it's probably going to be administered or needs to be administered in this game. I mean, you had the early shot play, you know, from Halinski to Edwards. Halinski gets hurt, you know, and you're kind of surviving. You get the pick six, and then it's a field goal game kind of. You're right, and you're just kind of – you're just doing enough to move the chains. I, I don't think moving the chains a little bit is going to be enough. I mean, that, that 2019 game was let's not make any big mistakes – and let's go play defense because Jake Fromm is not playing extremely well. And and let's get this thing into the fourth quarter. And that's that's how it turned out. I think here it's probably got to be a more aggressive approach offensively, um, especially with, with you know, probably how you feel about your defense, some of the questions that you face there, and the fact that Spencer Rattler is the engine to your team, I think, right now.
2: For sure. Um, all right, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but – Still Curtain makes a great point. Defense has got to make sure you tackle. Um, that jogged my mind on something else. These Georgia defenses, I know he's talking about Carolina defense, but these Georgia defenses, they always tackle, man. Like they tackle really well. I think it's key for South Carolina. If you have a chance to gain yardage, to gain positive yardage, get upfield. Looking at, um, I don't think it was Ball State. I think it was more UT Martin. They had some opportunities where their guys had the ball and had somewhat decent blocking on the perimeter, and they wanted to, like, dance around a little bit too much. And then by then, Georgia is going to defeat the block. They're going to get you on the ground, and you're going to get nothing by trying to get too much, I think. And so for Georgia, when you're playing them, you're not going to break a ton of tackles. I know you're going to need to break some, but you got to at least get forward, get upfield, and get the yardage that is available to you because they they just, over the last few years, have been a great tackling team. And then, like he said, you got to tackle too. Don't give them easy yards. Don't give them free yards. Uh, Debo Williams off to a great start stone Blanton, you know, off to a good start. I'm sure they will do some things to try to mismatch them in the passing game. If you're Georgia. So, uh, they're going to kind of run them back and forth. I bet make them run sideline to sideline. That'd be an interesting matchup as well. But, um, we could go through every single position group, honestly, and it would be important to this game because you're going to need everybody to play pretty well if you're South Carolina, if you're going to pull the upset. Um, so I, I guess we'll just leave it at that, man. Chris, you got one closing thought, or have you exhausted everything you
3: got? I pretty much exhausted them. Are we giving picks on the show? Well, or do we? Point I mean, it we can. I I, I I picked Georgia, so. Yeah, I've got Georgia, too. I think it's uh... – a tough, uh, a, a tough hill to climb for the Gamecocks. Um, but yeah, we'll, I'll just, I'll leave it there. Yeah,
2: I said thirty-eight twenty-four. I think, I think they hang in. I just think George is a little too much in the end. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit more low scoring than that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I settled on about a, a two touchdown game is is where I think it probably ends up.
3: Yeah, to me, uh, I'm I blanking on the year if it's. It must have been 2017, I think it was, where, you know, Gamecocks were down by seven. They hung in, ended up losing, I think, 24 to 10. That's kind of the similar vibe I'm getting. I think I had uh, 30 to 13 Georgia in this one. So, somewhere around there. um, Yeah, that's that's where my head's at right now, Wes. Yeah, well,
2: hey, we're going to find out. Either way, we're going to have plenty to talk about after this one. And uh, so, Mike will have his right after the game GC Live show as well. Um, I'll be on with Kendall and Jack for before the sandstorm, right before the game. I think we're aiming for 2.30 p.m., so one hour before kickoff on Saturday. And then Chris and I will be back GC Live at 2 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Y'all enjoy the game on Saturday. Chris and I are out, and uh, we'll talk to you then.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets.